Okie dokie. Revelation. The Revelation of Jesus Christ, part 23. And we have made it to verse 15. Remember, John sees one likened to a son of man in the midst of the candlesticks. We've talked about his clothing, and today we're going to be in verse 15. And his feet likened to fine brass as if they burned in a furnace, like fine burnished brass. Now, if you know, you know this is a book of symbolism. Brass always speaks of judgment in the scriptures. You know, the altar was the brass altar or the brazen altar. Uh, it speaks of divine judgment. And the feet of the Son of Man here being described is not just brass, but fine brass. That means this is brass that has already been through judgment. It's already been refined by the fire. It's called fine brass. Now, all through the scriptures, it, 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 and boy, it's, that's such a word, judge, but, you know, you, the saints will judge the world. If we're called to judge, we must first be judged. Paul says, judge ourselves, lest we be judged. And as the Lord Jesus himself, himself judges in the midst of the churches, so shall as many brethren bring judgment to the nations. I mean, that's what they're in need of. I, I know people separate this stuff like it's all over there and we're over here. And Can you not see what they're in dire need of? They're in need of judgment. These with the fine brass, they shall tread upon the head of Satan. Where is he? In, in you, within themselves. Then go forth bringing the judgment of Christ in all the earth. Romans 16. I mean, that's what happened to us, wasn't it? I mean, we were owned, but now we've been redeemed. Something has happened. Somebody else has invaded the land and... Romans 16.20, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Let me give you some verses out of Revelation chapter 12. We've, we've looked at this before, Revelation 12.5, And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was called up into God and to his throne. Verse 7, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon fought and his angels. We're going to look at that word angels here in a few minutes. So I want you to keep this verse in mind of what these very things mean, because I know what Hollywood has done with it. And it ain't so. 
Let me read that again. And there was war in heaven. Let me just ask one question. Where is the kingdom of heaven? According to Jesus. Kingdom of heaven is within you. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels. So there's one message. Fought against the dragon. Fought. Against the dragon and the dragon fought and his angels. See, the devil has angels to his messengers. And they prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, and that old serpent called the devil and Satan, Which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels, his messengers, were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying, In heaven, where is heaven? A loud voice in you saying, Because where is revelation? In you. Where is Christ? In you. Now has come salvation and strength. And the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down which accused them before our God day and night. You know, I had this picture and this is just kind of a, uh, I don't know if I ever showed it to you. Somebody drew a, a picture of the tabernacle. Uh, or Solomon's temple with the pillars. You remember the pillars? Uh, Solomon's temple. And uh, probably that sheet uh, that we went over years ago. But it was a picture of a man laying down. And his feet was the brass altar. And his legs were the pillars. And then you come up through the body. And then uh, the body was, you know, in Solomon's temple he had more tables of showbread than just one tables of showbread, candlesticks on each side, the body. And then, then right at the throat was the altar of incense. And then, of course, the head was the cherubims and the ark. And, and, you know, we know Christ is the head. So it was a picture of a man laying down. The same picture overlaid with Jacob asleep with his head on a stone for a for a. A pillow, but then that man that was—I mean, so uh, you know—that's what we said. That whole tabernacle was a picture of Christ, but now he's he's seen raised, risen, not laying down. So you can see that heaven would be up here, just like the Hebrews said, "Heaven is where God is." And to them, He was up there in the most holy place, because that's where He said, "I'll meet with you between the the cherubims over the mercy seat." So there was war and Satan was cast out and cast down. We'll, we'll go into Revelation 12 another. At the rate we're going two years from now. But. So there was a judgment took place. But anyway, judgment. Remember, it's not merely condemnation and wrath and vengeance as so many think it is. You know, I heard today on the radio. Boy, it's appointed unto men who wants to die. And after this, the judgment, you better be right or you're going to hell and... You know, just on and on and on and on and on. The judgment of God has the distinct purpose of setting things right. That's the judgment of God, setting things right. 
It's like we talked about Sunday. In the garden, they had fellowship. They had fun fellowship. And then all of that, gone. I mean, think of the new words that we've learned since the garden. Cancer, death, disease, murder, rape, destruction. All All of these terrible words that were never there. Never intended to be. This isn't God angry. This is the result of man and his actions. Remember, judgment of God has the distinct purpose of setting things right. Let me give you a verse here. Let's go to uh, Malachi. I say next to the last prophet of the Old Testament. And everybody said, well, no, he's the last one. No, John the Baptist was the last prophet of the Old Testament. <clears throat> Malachi chapter 4. Now remember, we're looking at the Son of Man here. And his feet is like burnished or fine brass. Malachi chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. And ye shall tread down the wicked. For they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord. Now, what does the Lord do with the ashes? Now, all of this, I mean, just don't take it out of context, man. Where was the ashes? Everything was put on the altar and burnt completely up. And he said, I'll give you beauty for ashes. But first, there must be the ashes. Verse 4, remember ye the law of Moses, my servant which I commanded unto him in Horeb. For all Israel with the statutes and judgments. You know what? I'm in the wrong book. I'm reading Malachi. I was just testing y'all. I was supposed to be in Micaiah. Because I looked down and I said, there's no verse 13 here. Micaiah. Micaiah, how you say it. If y'all want to know where that's at, it's on page 1256 in your Bibles. Chapter 4, Micaiah chapter 4 verse 3. And he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. I mean, what's going on around us right now? Does this not make your heart ache? I mean, I think about these things. I mean, goodness, aren't aren't we sick and tired of war and death and destruction? But they shall sit every man under his vine and every and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts hath spoken it. And verse 13, listen to this. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion. Thresh, O daughter of Zion. For I will make thine horn iron. And I will make thy hooves brass. And thou shalt beat in pieces many people. And I will consecrate their grain unto the Lord. And their substance unto the Lord of the whole earth. Their feet, their hooves, brass. Arise, O daughter of Zion. I wonder who he's talking to. Arise, O daughter of Zion, and thresh, and I'll make your hooves as brass. 
What he's saying here, daughter of Zion, being in union with the head, being in union with Christ, you shall judge among many people, many nations. And all of this, let me get back over there. All of this issues out from the mountain. What is a mountain? Mountain is the kingdom, mountain is government of the house, which is established at the top of Mount Zion or in the head of all kingdoms. Now look at verse 1. But in the last days, what days is that? That's the days we're talking about here, the day of the Lord. You know, the last days, the last days of the old covenant. It shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains. Remember what he said? This day have I begotten thee. I have set my king on my holy hill. This what day was he talking about? The resurrection. And it shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow into it. I mean, overcomers here have the responsibility of ministering redemptive judgment among the peoples of the world. Rebuking strong nations afar off by the word of the Lord. Signs and wonders, establishing peace, justice, righteousness in the earth. Look at verse 2. And many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The law shall go forth out of Zion. They hear this powerful kingdom gospel of, of, of peace and righteousness coming from Mount Zion. Many nations shall say, let us go up. We've got to hear this. And we know every system now, and I don't care which it is, socialism, communism, capitalism, Whatever ism you want to break, Republicans, Democrats, it matters not. The present world systems were created by men. In their confusion, blindness, ignorance. And they bring forth a harlot system called Babylon. Now this feat of fine brass, it, it I mean, again, it brings us to, the, to the, brass, the brazen altar, to the cross, the place where the judgment and grace meet. And we've talked about this order. I mean, first there's judgment. If there's not judgment, there can be no grace. I mean, people just want all grace. I mean, you know, the whole have no need of a physician. Until you know you're sick, you don't need a Savior. So there's judgment, then there's grace. And all things put under his feet, all things brought into subjection to the cross. Now here's something. Um, have you ever heard this saying, hold your feet to the fire? Now remember this, this one's feet. like fine burnished brass 
hold your feet to the fire means he's not going to release you from the intense scrutiny and high expectation until change comes. Go hold your feet to the fire. And I'll say this, yes, Jesus loves us just the way we are. Yes, His love is unconditional. But it doesn't stop there. Aren't you glad He loves us so much that He won't leave us in that condition? That's the problem today. They think they're just loved and they're left in that condition. You're going to be brought through the fire. Why do you think it's a strange thing for this fiery trial, which is to try you? I mean, that's, that's what he's talking about here. His highest desire for all of us is that we should look like him. The whole purpose, the whole goal is for us to be conformed into his image. That takes fire. He holds us to the fire. And even when we kick and even when we scream and even when we think we've had enough and we can't take it anymore, He knows what He's doing. He knows what is necessary. Now, always keep in mind this is a book of symbols. So the feet speak of His walk. It's, a, it's another way of commenting on the expression of his life, walk, how he lived, right? It says his feet uh, burned as if they burned in a furnace. It means that it, they glowed. His feet glowed. Now for something to glow, it must be of a more enduring substance. Because both burning and glowing are what? They're responses to the fire. And I'm going to tell you something. This fire can't be fooled. Now, i got to say again, if we're dealing with a brass altar, where did the fire come from? God lit that fire, didn't he? This is the fire of God. I mean, God is the fire. And the fire can't be fooled. You know, stars, falling stars, I've seen them go across the sky. and They're bright and they'll light it up and they burn out. If, if the substance that's put in the fire is ignitable, it'll be reduced to ashes. If not, then it'll be refined to the highest degree of purity. Look, look at what Paul says. Paul knew this. 1 Corinthians Chapter 3, verse 9, for we are laborers together with God. Laborers together, co-laborers. For ye are God's husbandry. You're his garden, you're his farm, and you're, you, you work together. You are God's building. You are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation... And another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. Hold your feet to the fire. For the day shall declare. What's the day? The light. Because it shall be revealed by fire. 
And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. We're talking about the glowing feet now. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Now Jesus, author and finisher of our faith, told the church of Laodicea and by the gold, the faith that was tried in the fire, purified in the fire. That's where it's purified, it's in the fire. People, you know, you hear these songs and I know it to be true. I know you do too. It seems like God always shows up at the last minute. You think, why is that? You could have showed up a month ago and I wouldn't have to go through all this worry. Why did you do that? What, what's at stake here? Your faith. I mean, why did he let Lazarus go and be dead four days and his body stinks? Why? The glory of God was at stake here. Something bigger at stake than my little feelings and my little anxieties and worries here. Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, when he walked the earth, he gave the perfect, perfect example of what it's like to have feet likened to fine brass. He was the greatest fire walker that ever lived. You know, the Bible talks about fire walkers. He was tempted in all points like us, yet there was no area of his life which escaped the all-searching flame. In him, no thing was, was spared. Look at this. Let me show you something. I told you, the Bible talks about fire walkers. Proverbs 6.28 Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? I mean, the preacher here wrote this, Solomon the preacher, the wise man. I mean, it sounds like a foolish question, doesn't it? I mean, you put your feet to the fire, you're going to be burned, you're going to suffer loss. And the answer to this was, can one go up on the hot coals and his feet not be burned? The answer was no, up until Jesus came along. See, you and I, we've all sinned, we've all missed the mark, we've all come short of the glory. When Jesus came forth, he bore an entirely different testimony. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. It didn't matter if it was the common allurements which appealed to the natural appetites of man or whether he was being led along the fiery path, even which passed by the great harlot's house, religious Babylon, whose Sweet, seductive influences have slain many strong men. Look at Proverbs 7, 26. Let me back up to 24. Hearken unto me now, therefore, ye children, and attend to the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline to her ways, and go not astray in her Pass. I'm telling you, as we go on in the book of Revelation, we're going to see this is the religious system of mystery Babylon right here he's talking about. 
the ones that has seduced many. Who, who is she seduced? For she hath cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. He's talking about religion. Mystery Babylon here. And Jesus wasn't burnt by her. He wasn't seduced. He was tempted. And even no matter how hot the smith that bloweth the coals in the fire. That's Isaiah 54, 16. You know, the, 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 the smith that bloweth the coals in the fire. No matter how hot he makes it. No matter how intense the heat becomes under his feet. There was nothing in him that would ignite. Let me back up right there. I got, I'm about to sneeze. <coughs> All right. Nothing in him that would, that would ignite. You know, I want you to think about this something. You know, you can, you can take a person. They can be the kindest, most gentle person and all the accolades that people would say about them is they're such a good person. But you put them in the right condition and you will see what's in them. I'll say this, ignite. Do you understand what I mean? Put them in the right heat. Put them in the right circumstances and vomit comes out of their mouth. Ugliness, anger, all of these things come out. See, no matter what situation, I mean, you would have thought, when G, I mean, when Jesus was healing people and doing the, the miracles and all of this stuff, that he would have been ignited. When they pulled his beard out, punched him in the face, and crown of thorns on his head, you would have thought he would have ignited. But he was peace himself. And I tell you what, he didn't even blister. And, and in fact, the, the hotter the adversary made the trial, the more his feet glowed. They glowed so much that the people were astonished with him. They, could, they couldn't help but admire his walk, those who came to him. He was totally above reproach. They could, Pilate washed his hands. We find no sin in this man. That's why he had such influence with the people. They understood that what he taught them, he had first walked out himself. He not only instructed them in the overcoming life, he demonstrated what it was like to have power over the fire. We forget those things. How was... Christ Jesus able to walk through the midst of such tremendous fire and remain unsinged. And I, I'll tell you what, it, it reminds me, you know, you're, we, we think of the Hebrew children. Their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. They looked and saw four in there. The reason Jesus could do that, because he stayed focused in the heavenlies. He kept his eye on the Lord of the fire instead of looking at the fire itself. While his feet was walking out the purposes of God in the earth, his head was in the heavens. In, in, uh, in John, you know, it, of course Jesus says, you're from beneath, I'm from above. In, in John 3, 31, I think this is... Uh, John the baptizer speaking. 
He that cometh from, from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. He wasn't the least bit overwhelmed by the fire because he understood its origin. I mean, now you can kind of understand what Paul would say. Set your affections, set your mind on things above. I mean, be anchored, rooted, rooted, grounded, assured. See, the fire is an enemy to us so as long as there are things in us that respond negative, negative, negatively. I can't say the word now. I'm tongue-tied. Negatively. Yeah, there it is. Or as long as there are things that we're afraid of losing to the fire. I mean, Paul tells us, you know, suffered loss. But then he goes back and says, those things that were gained to me, I count as dung. That I might be found in him, not having my own righteousness. See, see, the things that people don't want to lose is their own righteousness. Their own things that they feel they've gained. Well, I've been in church 40 years. Well, I've, I've never said a bad word. You know, all of these things that we don't want to lose to the fire. It's all woodhead stubble. But when we truly get victory over it, it really won't matter. No matter. I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness. Paul wrote, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. If you know the rest of that verse, it says, in us. The glory which shall be revealed, we're at, in us. Not to us. We shall glorify God in the fires. I mean, that's the story of the Hebrew children. By walking in a way that magnifies and radiates His holy name, His nature. Let me give you a verse from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1 and 2. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I know that this was talking about the Lord Jesus. But what is He? He's the way. I mean, mean, He's the one who cut the path, and we walk the same path. So where do we go? Through the waters, through the rivers, through the fire. Same path. Not a different path. I mean, praise God for the hope of, of, of His calling. As we become victorious over every edemic tendency that's in us. We'll then be able to stand calmly, triumphantly with the Lamb on a sea of glass mingled with fire. Which we'll find here in the book of Revelation. Having nothing to hide or be embarrassed of. Our feet will glow like His feet. 
The only way that is is through the fire. Now, I want to talk about something else here. And his voice as the sound of many waters. I won't get through all of this part today. It says in, in Revelation uh, chapter 1 verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. And, and, and here and his voice as the sound of many waters. What is that voice? I tell you what, everything that we discover in the book of Revelation I will never have to bring in a CNN news clip or Fox News thing. We will get everything right from the scriptures. Psalm 29, verse 3. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. Thundereth, the Lord is upon many waters. And I want you to get this picture. Water is one of the primary elements. Every part of our being is, is composed of elements which came out of the creation. All the way back in, in Genesis. I mean, look at verse 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved or brooded upon the face of the waters. We first meet the voice out of the waters in Genesis. And that voice of the water actually exists within the waters. I mean, many of us have, have had the experience of sitting by the beach. You know, isn't that something? You go to the beach in that water and it just rolls or a waterfall or even, as David said, still waters. And, and you listen to the water and it seems the water speaks to you. It, bring, it ministers tranquility to our soul, peace to our mind. That's why people flock to the water. They do. I mean... Stresses leave as we contemplate in the stillness, the voice of the water. Inspiration, revelation arrive from within. Now water is representative of, of life. The, the voice of many waters is the voice of the fullness of life. You, you can't live without water. They say 65% of our being, our bodies are composed of water. We were formed in the water of the womb. I mean, you breathe water before you breathe life, before you breathe air. Now, his voice was first heard upon the water. Creation began out of the waters by the word of the Lord. I mean, it says here, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The face of the deep. Face speaks of personality. As though there's a person trying to appear through the waters. 
The face is the expression of the intelligence of the mind. It speaks of knowledge and wisdom and understanding. The, the Spirit of God brooded over the face, over the personality of the waters. Do you get this? And God spoke. He spoke out of the waters. Now from the dawn of creation comes to us the sound of the voice of many waters. It's His voice. It's the voice of the Lord. It says darkness was upon the face of the deep. The the very great deep of the waters. And God said what? Let there be light. And light shined out of the darkness of the waters. I think there's a verse in... uh, I got this right. Yeah. Second uh, Corinthians chapter four verse six. For God, who commanded the light not to shine into the darkness, to shine out of the darkness. Now imagine that. So we just read all of those things because we shine a light into the darkness, but God spoke for the light to come out of the darkness. Do you, do you see the direction? He, he's brooding over the face, over the personality of the waters, and he's calling something forth. Let there be light. He's calling the light out of the darkness, out of the deep of the waters. God speaks in the darkness within ourselves. Paul in that same verse says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Out of the great deep of our being and light dawns upon the face of our waters. The day star, he said, arises in your heart. Arises, a star arises in your heart. Understanding springs forth in our minds and heart. The voice of the Lord that does what? Quickens, gives life. The Lord that awakens with the revelation of who we are, of who He is, that brings salvation and the day of the Lord. It's upon the face of the deep and it's the voice of many waters. Let me get back over here in Revelation. I want you to see this. Revelation chapter 14, verse 2. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters. And as the voice of a great thunder. Now didn't we read that in Psalms that he thundereth, the Lord he speaks and he thundereth. And, and now here John is having a revelation. I heard the voice from heaven, a voice of many waters. And as the voice of great thunder and I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. I'm telling you, this is the voice of the 144,000 sons of God standing on Mount Zion. You know how I know that? Because verse 1. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood upon Mount Zion, a lamb on Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty, a hundred forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Just before John heard the voice, he saw a lamb that stood on Mount Zion. Then he heard the voice of many waters. Now the forehead is that part of the face that bespeaks of the mind. Now we know when we get here, the high priest, on his forehead, he had that miter that said, Holiness unto the Lord. 
That was the mark on the forehead because in Revelation 13, the others had the mark of Satan, the mark of man, 666. But now he's got the mark of his, the, the nature of his father written in the forehead. Out of that mind, the voice speaks. Just as the Spirit of God in the beginning spoke His creative word out of the deep waters and upon the face of the waters, so the Spirit of God now speaks out of the face of the deep in us, out of the mind of Christ in the sons of God. Now I'll say this, the word of the sons of God is the voice of many waters. It's, it's the voice of one in the midst of candlesticks. Now water is life. Water saves. Water refreshes. Water cleanses. Water rejuvenates. Water creates. Water bursts. Gives birth. So why many waters? Because there's no longer the only begotten Son of God, Jesus, there's now many sons coming to glory. The many sons are the many waters. The foreheads upon which the Father's name is written, the minds in which are formed the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which is the mind of Christ. The personalities in which are formed the nature the name of the Father. Or the face of the very great deep over which the Spirit of God now moves and out of which He speaks. It, it's the voice of the Son in the sons. It's the voice of love. It's the voice of rest, restoration. It's the word of salvation and release. Uh, the power of redemption and resurrection that will bring deliverance to creation from the bondage of corruption. Let me read those uh, verses out of the Amplified. Revelation 14. Listen to this. This is verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 1, 2, 3. Then I looked, and behold, the Lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name inscribed on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of great waters and like the rumbling of mighty thunder. The voice I heard seemed like the music of harpist accompanying themselves on their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne of God and before the four living creatures and before the elders of the heavenly Sanhedrin. No one could learn to sing that song except the 144,000 who had been ransomed or purchased or redeemed from the earth. The voice, the harp music, the song are all different descriptions of the same reality. We'll see that a lot. Different descriptions of the same reality. That's why I said the love of God and the wrath of God are the same thing. It depends on which way you're approaching it. Because God doesn't change. He doesn't get angry at sin. It's His set being. 
A new song is a new message. A new message is a fresh word, a living word out of the realm of the Spirit. Look at, uh, he, he tells us here in Revelation 17, verse 15. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the horse setteth, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. The waters which thou sawest are people, and nations, and multitudes, and tongues. Many waters means many people. This is, this is simply a many-membered body of Christ. Many people, yet only one voice. When John heard the voice of the Son of God through many members, the Son of Man through many, it wasn't the clamor of 30,000 different denominations proclaiming 30,000 different doctrines. That's babble, that's confusion. This to John sounded like a beautiful harmony of harpist harping. He heard a multitude of redeemed men and women out of every people and tongue and nation speaking the same thing, the same word. They were in agreement. From their mouths proceeded the living words of God. There was no discrepancy among them. People had come from different backgrounds, cultures, races. Yet there was one word. There was one revelation pouring out. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Love. Let me get back over here. And he had, in verse 16, hey, we'll get to another verse. And he had in his right hand seven stars. He had in his right hand the Son of Man. Has in his right hand seven stars. I wonder if that's real. He'd be really big if he really had seven. I mean, I've heard people say, take it literally. Well, you know how big the sun is, and it's a small star. It would have to be a gigantic man with a gigantic hand to have seven stars really in his hand. Of course, in verse 20, it says, The mystery of the seven stars, he tells us, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Pretty simple. The stars are what? The angels. John saw on the right hand of Christ seven stars, which are the seven angels of the seven churches. Now, why does it, it say right hand? Right hand speaks of authority, power, dominion, and blessing. Now, all through the scriptures, I won't go through a lot of them. I'm going to give you some right here. You see the connection between stars and the messengers of God. We'll get into this more when we get to Revelation 12. But you remember when, when Joseph had the dream and he went and told his, told his brethren. He said, do, do you, he dreamed about the sun and the moon and 11 stars bound down before him. And it was plainly interpreted, shall I and your mother and your 11 brothers bow down before you? He wasn't talking about stars up in heaven. But both stars and the ministering spirits are called the host of heaven. I want you to get a hold of it. You remember these terms, the host of heaven. 
What's the host of heaven? The host of heaven, the stars. Psalm 148. Psalm 148. Now listen to this. Psalm 148, verse 1 through 4. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise ye Him, all His angels. Praise ye Him, all His hosts. Praise ye Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all ye stars of light. Praise Him, ye heavens of heavens, and ye waters that be above the heavens. Waters that be above the heavens. Now, where was He speaking out of? He's the voice of many waters. Do you see how all of these things here, symbolic, the host of heaven, these angels, these stars, ministering spirits, now, all the way back in Genesis, now this is going to be important. Genesis chapter 1. When God is making everything, creating everything. Verse 16. God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. And he made the stars also. So what's the greater light to rule the day? The sun, S-U-N. What's the lesser light to rule the night? The moon. The sun, moon. Now what he's telling us here is these things that he said in the heavens, these things are for rulers. He just said it. The greater light to rule the day or to govern the day, to bring government to the day, light to the day. And even give you directions. And the lesser light to bring the lesser, the lesser glory, the lesser, the, 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 the dimmer government to the night. S-U-N, sun. Now back in, in Psalms 84. 84 verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun, S-U-N. And shield, the Lord, capital the, uh, the I am, is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. And also, now I get to go back to my, my book, Malachi. Malachi. Chapter 4, verse 2, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. Calves have hooves. And we read over there that he'll make his hooves brass. And then in, in Matthew chapter 13, Verse 43, then shall the righteous, who are the righteous here? The righteous, uh, these are they, I mean, we've been made righteous. These are the saints, the believers, the sons of God. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun, S-U-N, in the kingdom of their father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. 
The righteous shine forth as the sun. Now he said in creation, I've made the sun to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. Now I told you these stars, the host of heaven. So here we have this son of man and he's got seven stars in his right hand. And the stars are the angels of the seven churches, which are the seven golden candlesticks. Now, plain and simple, I know you guys know this, this for everybody listening. Angel, plain and simple, means messenger. It does not mean a baby in a diaper with wings and harps and, and little bows and cupid arrows. Angel means one sent with a message. It means the personal representative of the sender. If I gave you a message and told you to take that message to uh, Sam over there, you would be my angel because you would be the bearer of the message that I send. Simple as that. It's just simply an untranslated Greek word. Anyone sent with a message is a messenger or an angel. And I'll say this. We read that in Revelation 12. It may mean a messenger from hell. Because the devil, old Satan, had his own angels. Had his own messengers. And what is their message? Lies. Or it could be one from heaven. Or it could be from a man or a king. Any messenger of those is an angel of that person. I mean, a homing pigeon could be an angel because it carries a message. A lot of sevens in this book. You see the correspondence between all the sevens in, in this book. Seven stars, seven churches, seven lamps of fire which burn before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God, seven horns, seven eyes of the Lamb, which are also... Said to be the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. All these sevens are different aspects or facets of the same reality. Facets, you know, like a diamond. It's one diamond, but many facets. The same facets or facets of the same reality, which is what? The sevenfold spirit of God, which is what? The absolute completeness and fullness of the Holy Spirit. The fullness of God in Jesus Christ is the seven spirits of God. The fullness of Christ in you is the seven spirits of God. Paul said, I'm, you are complete in Him. The seven angels of the seven churches are the seven spirits of God. The fullness of the Word of God as Christ in us. Now in Revelation, where angel is employed as a symbol, the meaning is not the angel or the messenger, but what the angel or the messenger stands for. In other words, the message. And the message speaks of a word. There's a spiritual activity in the heavens of God's Spirit by which a word is communicated. The mind and voice of God reveal a truth, an activity, a purpose in the unfolding purpose of God. So I, I, 
when you think of this word angel, think of a, a, of a message, a revelation, or a word from the Lord. This is the power and authority of the Christ by the spirit in which his word is sent to the churches. I remember he had in his right hand seven stars, which are what? Seven messengers of the seven churches. And I want to say this. Just as these stars are in the right hand of Christ, they are also, they, they are His right hand. Have you ever heard the term, my right hand man? I mean, what does that mean? It means the one who carries out my instructions, who accomplishes my will. So these messengers are not only in his hand, they are his hand. Just like Jesus Christ ascended to what? The right hand of the Father. And now Jesus has seven stars in his hand, which become his right hand, his right hand man. These seven angels are the sevenfold spirit of God. The, the, the seven stars are the sevenfold word of God, which issues, issues out of the spirit, which does what never returns void, but accomplishes that whereunto he sent it. Each of the seven angels is a spirit, and each of the stars is a word. Each angel or star, each spirit or word reproduces Christ in the members of his body. Do, do you see that? Paul travail, Paul said, I, I travail till what? Christ be formed in you. Now, just let me get over here to Ephesians a minute. Now, let me just read this. Now, we're talking about these words here because that's what he's saying because these angels, they have a word and the word goes forth and it don't return void. And that The word is what? It's Christ himself which comes into you and, and he's formed. And, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. Read a few verses and we'll call it good. For the perfecting, for the perfecting of the saints, chapter 4, verse 12. For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith. Now remember he, he heard the 144,000, they got one song, they're all playing the same tune. This is called unity here, right? The unity of what? The faith. Where did the faith come from? At the fire. That's what brought, made the faith pure. And of the knowledge of the Son of God, these guys had in their forehead the name. They had their father's name written in the forehead. And what's the forehead? The mind of Christ. The knowledge of the Son of God into a perfect man, into the measure of the stature of the fullness, seven spirits, of Christ. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about every wind of doctrine by the slight of men. Remember there's war in heaven. And the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, you know, 
Two sets of angels, Michael and the devil, and each angel's going at each other. Two messages. They lay in the sight of men, craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together. Now what body is he talking about? This one we're talking about here, the, the son of man that he saw in the midst here, this many-membered man from whom the whole body fitly joined together, compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making the increase of the body into the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Now we just saw this man's walk. He had glowing feet. See, this, this son of man's walk is different. And Paul is saying, a new walk. Having, the, having their understanding darkened, these that don't walk this way, the way the Gentiles in the vanity of their mind, because their understanding is darkened, being alienated from the life of God, alienated, separated, cut off, foreign to them, through the ignorance that is where in them. Where's the ignorance? In them. That's why he has to brood over the face of the deep, over the face, and call forth light. That's what these angels do. They brood and they call forth light because as the word goes out, it won't return void. Because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work out all uncleanness and greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him. Now where did we hear him? The voice spoke in the waters. And have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Put off concerning the form of conversation. The old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And be renewed whereat in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. You know, the revelation that John saw, the revelation uh, that Paul has given us is not two different things. John saw these great things. Paul did too. And it's the revelation of Jesus Christ in us. So I'm going to leave you with this because... I got into these uh, seven stars, and then out of his mouth goes a sharp two-edged sword, and I don't want to dive in too deep because I wanted to have plenty of time to do it. So I'm going to quit with that right there. So next week we'll be uh, back on the seven stars, and out of his mouth a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. So, amen.